Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. Uh, guys, it's been a minute. It's been uh, about a month. We we took off for the end of the off season, but uh, we're back and have stuff to talk about again. Yes, this is exciting stuff. Uh, I'm glad to to get back into the into the swing of things. Uh, because this has been kind of a brutal off season, um, just kind of news wise, and just uh, being anxious for the for the actual season to get started, or even preseason, just so we could see like uh, what the coaching staff has implemented to this point, um, and see some of the new players that we've brought in. So um, it's exciting. Um, so uh, yeah, we're just excited uh, to get this preview going. Will, yeah, you you brought up the point earlier that. This has been kind of an exhausting offseason for the Titans because, you know, we're used to being done at the end of December. And this year, we had two playoff games, then a coaching search. And then immediately from that, we were into combine, pro days, free agency, and then the draft. Yeah, this is sort of like breakneck speed for us. You know, if there, there was a three or four year period where by November or December we were already looking at the draft, which was <laughs> five months away at that point. So to be involved midway through January and then continuously make moves and improve the team, you know, for a whole off season made it go by really quick. You know, June it started to slow down a little bit and mm-hmm. July's kind of dragged on, but I mean we're almost out of it now. So, mm-hmm. well, so. Uh, we started our podcast uh, just before the start of training camp last year, if I recall correctly, because we tried to do the giveaway that fan sided then turned around and told us we could not do. <laughs> um, so, so Good times. We, yeah, we are officially one year old. I still have the poster that's signed by Taylor Lewan and Austin Johnson in my closet. So uh, if, any, if, anybody, if anybody wants that, just, just hit me up and, and we'll give it away to you. Uh, but we're excited to start year two of our show. Uh, we're definitely a lot less clunky than we were in that first episode. Uh, so, so let's start talking about the, the meat and potatoes of, of the Titans. We are, at this point, less than a week away from the start of training camp, which kicks off on Thursday, August, excuse me, July 26th. And I did a poll last week asking you guys which topics and, and storylines most interest you heading into training camp, and it was a pretty good consensus of about five topics, and so we're going to hit all of those today, and we're going to start with what I think is the biggest topic, even more so than than the comfort level of Marcus Mariota, and I think the one with the most questions that need to be answered is the receiver position. 
Now, going into the offseason, I pinpointed receiver as a need, not necessarily like a first-round draft pick kind of need, but they needed something to supplement the group. And all they ended up doing, they being John Robinson, is signing Michael Campanero, who's basically just Mark Mariani, who's just nothing but a career kick returner. So mm-hmm. I'll ask you guys, does it surprise you? Because it does mean that they didn't at least do something to supplement the receiver position, like add a Bryce Butler or a mid-round draft pick, someone like that. And do you think there's still a chance that we have a third straight year of a straight-before-chaining-camp veteran edition? Because two years ago, it was future Hall of Famer Andre Johnson. That didn't work out. Last year was Eric Decker. That didn't work out. Are they going to hope that third time's the charm and try it again this year? Yeah, I'm not too surprised that um, that we haven't really addressed the wide receiver position um, really in full, really. Um, I, I, w- I wouldn't be shocked to see a... A, a veteran receiver brought in. Uh, I'm not sure who that would even be at this point. I mean, it's not it's not going to be Des Bryant. Uh, I, I have no doubt in my mind that that won't be. Um, watch it be just because I said so. But <laughs> it really it really doesn't seem like that's even an option. And we really haven't heard uh, many rumors um, about the Titans even even wanting to bring in another receiver. Um, and it's not too surprising because I think John Robinson um, is very confident in his evaluations of the prospects he has already brought in. Um, I mean, Kevin Dodd is still on the roster. Um, so I'm not sure if that means that John Robinson still believes in him, but I, I bet he does. I wouldn't be surprised if he still is because he spent the second round pick on him. Um, and he spent a, a fifth overall pick on Corey Davis and, and he traded up in the third round um, and gave up some some decent draft capital to get Taewon Taylor. Um, so I think he truly believes in his evaluations of those two players, um, and he, he thinks they're going to be um, high-level players in the NFL, which they haven't shown, um, but they really haven't been giving, given the chance to show. Uh, Corey Davis mostly due to injuries, um, and, and Taewon Taylor because he was used he was used in in a variety of, of weird ways by the previous coaching staff who – who weren't very good at their jobs, to be honest. Yeah. So I think Robinson is banking on those two players, um, just to, uh, carrying the load. Um, but yeah, the depth does concern me. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be totally honest because Davis Matthews uh, and Taylor it, it is fine. It doesn't really inspire too much confidence, but if they play up to their potential, that's good. Um, I'm not a huge tajay sharp fan but I, I, if he's your fourth like, like that's fine um and then after him you really only have um maybe deontay burnett who's an undrafted free agent who's sort of intriguing um jordan Vesey was uh I, I don't know a lot about him at all but uh according to reports from camp um and tweets from minicamp he, he was doing well um and campanar is really nothing more than a special teamer and an occasional uh gadget guy so uh we'll see what they do um yeah. Yeah. Well, his name's brought up. Uh, Jim White loves Jordan Vesey. I yeah. don't know why, but he talks about him every time he does an interview. Like, they'll ask him about Kevin Dodd and he'll talk about Vesey. So I don't know if they're just really good friends. I, I don't know if he's just blowing it up. I, I don't know what's going on, but he's he's made an impression on Jim White. And that's, you know, important. Jim White's been around the team forever and he's great and we love Jim White. So, that, that's something to watch. I've heard his name a lot more than I've heard Deontay Burnett, which is not what I thought would happen after we yeah. signed as an undrafted free agent. So my, my big thing is 
I think that if Corey Davis plays like I thought he would, and I think we all as a group thought he could, then all this goes away. You've got your number one receiver. Rashard Matthews is a good number two receiver. Taewon's a good number three, and Tajay's a good, you know, kind of gap stop at all those positions. The one thing I think that really might intrigue the Titans is finding a guy who's a real savvy slot guy. Um, that's kind of how uh, the Rams used Cooper Cup last year. The only guy I can think of that really stands out like that is Emmanuel Sanders. And the only reason I bring his name up is because um, the Broncos have had this weird uh, cap management where I think uh, outside of uh, Case Keenum that they just signed, um, those, uh, Demarius uh Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, I think, are the two biggest cap hits on their team. And I think uh, Emmanuel Sanders has already turned 30, which is a big you know, red flag for GMs. So if they can unload his contract, I think they will. And I think that would be the perfect wow. fit in this offense if they were going to add another receiver. But, yeah. you know, outside receivers, they have that. Really, if, if you're watching the college tape, Taewon Taylor and Tajay Sharp are both boundary receivers anyway. The most natural slot receiver they have is Corey Davis. He, he's the one who's done it the most in college and who really looked fluid and, and like he understood what he was doing there. So, it, you know, you wouldn't think that looking at their height, weight, speed and all that. But if, if I was going to pick a true slot receiver out of the group, it would be Corey Davis for how well he does it. So if they want a real bona fide, you know, Pro Bowl slot wide receiver. He's somebody I think they could make a push for, but I just I, I don't know. It would probably have to be like a mid season move. So I think they're kind of done right now. So a, a couple things about what you guys just said. First of all, I have always ever since he uh, ever since I first got to watch him in the preseason uh, have liked Tajay Sharp. I think it hurt the Titans that he wasn't available last year because he was on injured reserve. And I think the impact he makes this season uh, is going to be, it's not going to shock anybody, but I think it will be more than some people probably think right now. I think he will get a lot of opportunities in the slot. And I'm interested for, for next week at training camp and as the preseason goes along to start watching how he's used and how he's deployed in the offense. And number two, the one thing for really about two years I've been saying this the Titans desperately need speed at the wide receiver position. And all these people come at me and they say, well, Taewon Taylor's fast and, well, Corey Davis is fast. I'm not talking about 4-4. I'm talking about 4-3. There's a big difference there. You know, Julio Jones is fast. Antonio Brown is fast. I'm talking about, like, Brandon Cook's fast. Tyreek Hill fast, you know, and you don't have to be as good a receiver as those two players are. You know, Tyreek Hill's a pro bowler and, and uh, Brandon Cooks was a first-round draft pick. But they need someone who's going to provide a spark and, and really strike fear in the hearts of opponents. You guys remember when we played Kansas City in the playoffs? I, who I'm not on the field, I don't have to worry about anything. I was scared to death of Tyreek Hill. <laughs> yeah. Like, so those those that's my two cents worth. What do you guys yeah, think about that? He strikes fear into your. Into your yeah, he. Uh, your those soul. types of players are just irreplaceable. Um, and you, I mean, it, it's such a such a tired and old cliche, but you really can't teach speed. Um, and you definitely need those types of players on your offense. Um, I mean, Corey Davis, like you said, Davis and Taylor are are fast, um, but they're not they're not 
uh, Blazers, you know. Corey Davis runs what, like um, 4 4 4 four eight or something like that. Taewon Taylor, 4 5 2. Um, so a player like a player like a player like Tyree, not not like Tyree Kelly. You're not going to find a player like that just off the street. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But a player with with uh, somewhat that type of speed, they're just not really out there. Um, they're definitely not on our roster, and they're not even really available in free agency. So I don't know how you replicate that. Well, like someone I mentioned a minute ago, uh, Bryce Butler. He uh, see his forty time was like four three seven. I wanted them to get someone like that. Like again, Bryce Butler is not a number one receiver. He's probably never going to have more than like five, six hundred yards in a season. But he can be used as a gadget guy, not in the sense that he's going to be carrying the football in the run game. But you can just line him up and say, "All right, you run straight down the field, and we're going to dare him to stop you." Yeah, I mean that that's that would be great. And you know, we've talked about like it, you know those guys are great to have, and they're not around. What I would go back to is uh, the Rams had the best offense in the NFL last year in terms of points, and they didn't have that guy, and they still felt like it was such a need that they traded a first-round pick to go – or I'm not sure. If, did they trade – yeah, they traded a first-round yeah. pick to go get uh, – Cooks. Who? Are you talking about Brandon Cooks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I thought you okay. said Hoods, and I was like, oh, that's not his name. Yeah, they, they traded a first-round <laughs> I was, I was like, I was like, oh no, I'm talking about the wrong person. No, so they went out and when the number one offense in the NFL says it, we did great last year, but we still need speed, then you know it's important to an offense. So yeah, I mean, it would be great to have that guy. You've just got to pay a premium for speed, especially when they prove that they can be productive on the field. So it's hard to find those guys and. You know, I'm sure next year Robinson might, you know, roll the dice on somebody like that. But, I mean, finding somebody with game-breaking speed who can actually still play and catch the ball in July is almost impossible. Here, here's what they're going to do. When, when Tampa Bay comes for their joint practices, they're, <laughs> they're going to do the practices. They're going to play the preseason game. And then when they when they go to, to B&A to get back on the plane, they're just going to let Deshaun Jackson stay here. And that's going to solve <laughs> the problem. Wouldn't that be nice? It would. I would be a hundred percent for that. <laughs> it's also kind of kind of ironic that uh, the two players that I think would just be perfect um, for what you're saying, um, one of them just left the Rams, and the other one just got to the Rams. Brandon Cooks and Sammy Watkins. Yeah. Uh, both of those players would have been perfect fits on this offense, um, and exactly what we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, again, receivers was probably the most mentioned topic. The second most mentioned topic, and, and I think maybe equal importance, is going to be how does Marcus Mariota look and feel in a Matt LaFleur offensive system? We know Matt LaFleur is a disciple of Kyle Shanahan, of uh, Sean McVay, so he's going to be running a pretty similar s- system to those two guys who are kind of the premier offensive geniuses at head coach these days so um you know Marcus Mariota it's an interesting discussion topic we've seen him be really good and I know Will you think very highly of him but last year you know you want to blame the offense and it, it was bad it was ugly it was disastrous but he made some rough decisions throwing off his back foot didn't look good and you know I just don't know what to think about him right now. You know, we could see a uh, Jared Goff-esque transformation where, you know, 
terrible in a bad offense, but then you get this Shanahan, uh, McVay, LaFleur system in, and he completely transforms into a very productive quarterback. We could get that. But I think there's just as equal a chance that he's just pretty average, and that's what, what Titans fans are going to be stuck with. I don't know. I think Marcus Mariota has been a very puzzling player through three years of his career. How do you guys feel? I think uh, that's a pretty fair uh, assessment. Last year was kind of kind of sad for me because, I mean, I uh, a lot of the games I, I had to like watch uh, on my computer and I was kind of delayed. And because I have to tweet from the Titan Size account, I'd be on Twitter and and some of the things would get spoiled. And so many times the same thing I see the same tweet get spoiled. It's Mariota int. And it was just the worst feeling yeah. seeing that. And I, we saw it, I saw it so often uh, that at, at a certain point, I was just expecting every drive or like every other drive to end in a Mariota interception, um, which hadn't been the case through his first two years at all. He was fantastic through his first two years. Um, and last year was supposed to be the year that, that he really took off into super stardom. Um, and that didn't happen at all. Um, a lot of that, I mean, obviously, we've talked about it enough. A lot of that was due to the offense, um, which was terrible. But I mean, he just didn't look comfortable at all in, in his in his own right. Even like outside of the constraints of the offense, um, he didn't look confident a lot of the time. Um, I, I don't. His footwork was kind of off at times, also, and so just some of his decision making was 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 really really bad um probably bottom tier in the nfl um despite that um he, when he played well he he was just so on and, and he's just so much fun to watch when he is on um like in the playoffs I, I thought i thought he played very well but even in the playoffs he had that throw to marcus peters um that peters picked off um i wasn't sure was it a miscommunication i'm not I sure no his ball should have never left his hand anyway that's marcus agreed peters. I'm pretty sure in our <laughs> podcast the week before that game, I said, before the snap, figure out where he is and just ignore Don't that throw read. it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Um, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. So th- this is a little bit too much Mariota slander for me, so I, I just am going <laughs> to on it. Okay. So um, we've talked about how terrible the offense was last year. We also know that when uh, in the second half of that game, when they took the controls away from Terry Rabisky and let Mario to do what he actually wanted to do, he looked like the quarterback he did, you know, the year before. He looked great. The, the problem was he was too constricted and he was dealing with a hamstring injury. And it just, you know, if it wasn't a revolving door at, you know, left guard when Spain went out, not really a revolving door, but just a trap door, really, at left guard when Spain went out and it was just terrible there. And then Lawan had an issue. It, it, just, it was a lot of little things, you know, Eric Decker getting hurt in the preseason, Corey Dead Davis. Yeah, thousand cuts. Yeah, it, it, that, that's the perfect way to describe it. And then on top of that, you've got this imperfect coach telling you the wrong things to do. So, he succeeded in spite of the scheme two years ago, and last year he just couldn't overcome it with all that other stuff. Um, what I would like to point to is instead of looking at the past, look forward. Um, we've got Matt LaFleur, who's an intelligent you know, quarterback whisperer, all that kind of stuff. You talked about him turning from Jared Goff the rookie year into Jared Goff's second year. I think we're looking more at what Matt Ryan did when he saw LaFleur. So when Matt Ryan got into LaFleur's offense in his second year, 
which when LaFleur was a quarterback coach, he wasn't the offensive coordinator. But uh, he had 38 t- – it was, it was his MVP year when he had uh, 38 touchdowns, um, nearly 5,000 yards passing. He only had seven interceptions. I, I mean, once Matt LaFleur gets a really good feel for, like, who his quarterback is – he does a really good job putting them in positions to win. And you can you can put some of that on the other coaches and all that, but everywhere he's been, whether it's been RG3 or whether it's been in the college ranks, everywhere he's been, quarterbacks have done their best work with him, and then there's a drop-off before and after. So, you know, you could see a Jared Goff rise, but I think it's going to be a lot higher than that because we've seen that Marcus can be a good quarterback – in a bad offense, we've never seen what he can be in a good offense. So if you take somebody who, you know, that six-week stretch he had when he led all quarterbacks in touchdown passes or whatever that stat was, or if it was the Titans offense that was leading the league in point, whatever that was, if you take that quarterback and put him in a system he's comfortable with, with more talent at wide receiver, the same consistent offensive line, better talent at running back, and a defense that shouldn't put him in bad positions all the time, there's no way to look at this offense and not be optimistic. So I think it's fair to say that last year he made some stupid decisions, but if you were going to win with that kind of offense last year, you had to make some stupid decisions because there there was nothing else for you to make. There were no good decisions mm-hmm. to make. Do what? There were no good decisions to make. Yeah. And there was no no margin for error with yeah, any was, of the throws that he had either, to make. You either made a stupid decision or you got sacked because there were no smart plays on the field. You either tried to force balls in places they probably shouldn't go or you tried to run. And that's why, what was it, three games? By the end of the Houston game, he had already tied uh, his number of rushing touchdowns because the passing options just weren't there. He was having to run a lot more than we remember because before his hamstring injury, things just weren't opening up for him because the offense was so closed down. Yeah. So he was he was put in a position to fail from week one, and the fact that he came out, you know, the other side at least showing at the end of the season that when he's allowed to do it, he wanted to do, he could still be the quarterback we saw with that twenty-two or uh, I guess eighteen-point uh, comeback drive that the Titans had against the Chiefs in the second half, he showed that he's still that quarterback. He was just buried under a pile of terrible play calling. So that, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I stand on all this. Yeah, you, yeah. you made and, good points. Yeah, I was just going to say, like in terms of uh, becoming or, or having the season that Jared Goff had, um, Margie Hoda has pretty much already had it. I mean, 2016 – wasn't all that much different stats-wise than Goff's uh, 2017. And Mariota did that with a much less talented wide-receiving uh, group uh, and a much much less detailed uh, scheme um, that he was running. So also I'm excited. DeMarco Murray with him, too, which no, no disrespect to DeMarco Murray. We all love DeMarco Murray. But 2017 DeMarco Murray was not helping oh. the offense at all. Ooh. So, you know, when you have just, you know, personnel decision and play calling decision consistently being wrong around you and you're forcing yourself to come back through an injury, I think that's not a fair test. I mean, I think it's a much better thing to say he was tough enough to make it through the season and hurry back, you know, to come back for the Colts game when he probably shouldn't play when we look at it. And it's probably the game that made the difference in them making the playoffs. So. Yeah. 
he kind of sacrificed his long-term health for the season to make sure that the Titans won a must-win game. And ultimately, it ended up, you know, in a nine-win season and their first playoff win in forever. So, you know, it's hard to say whether that was the right decision or the wrong decision, but I tend to kind of lean on that side of praising him for being tough and coming back and kind of pushing away the negative stuff about his decision-making and all that because I've seen a larger body of work that says when healthy, his decision-making is generally good. Yeah, I don't know. There's just... What bothers me more than anything isn't the decision-making or his comfort level because, again, it was a bad offense. Sometimes he's just flat-out inaccurate with the football, and that's that's not play-calling. That's that's him. Yeah, that's that Steelers game was, was weird. He made a couple throws that weren't even close. Yeah. So I hope yeah. to never see that again. Well, that, but they've been working on his base, right? They made yeah. a wider base. And in, in Thursday night games like that, like Thursday night games on the road, like the yeah. team traveling is like doomed to fail. And not only that, but the, I mean, none of the Titans looked good. It was a terrible game to watch because they had that stupid camera angle. Oh, the Madden nope. camera? That yeah, was like the worst. Was that was that was the one of the worst yeah, games bad. for a lot of reasons. So um, another pretty popular topic that people brought up was Jack Conklin and his injury and what does that mean? And the interesting part about that is I honestly have no idea. That's going to be something that uh, I'm sure will be asked to Mike Vrabel when he has his press conference next Wednesday. Uh, so that'll be something to look forward to. My guess is he will start on the pup list. Wouldn't you guys think so? Yeah. I guess, yeah. Although ACL recovery at this point is just like you're back in a month, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can play the next quarter. So uh, <laughs> we'll hear from Vrabel on Wednesday about that. But uh, well, let's move into another topic, and that is uh, the other side of the offensive line, Taylor Lewan, who – Skipped minicamp. Um, I can't remember really why. It was oh, – yeah, his contract. That's why. Sorry. Contract. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> where is this going? Like is what, – what's what's happening with Taylor Lewan? Why? Why, I guess, is what I'm just going to say. Because he deserves all the money? Absolutely. But I think that's it. For, check. Right, right now? Does he deserve all the yeah. money? Was he's a free agent next year? Yeah, yeah. Right. Extend him now. What's the point? We got all the money in the world. Yeah. Why does it matter? Like the the salary cap is a myth. It's all nonsense. It goes up ten million dollars a year, and contracts are only going to get more expensive. <laughs> it, so, is, it, it is a myth. You're very right about that. <laughs> I mean, who who has been punished by the salary cap at all ever? Nobody. Like nope. teams yeah. do stupid stuff like. Houston, when they cleared up all that salary cap space and traded a second-round pick to get Osweiler off the books because they thought they were going to go after Tony Romo. But they didn't do that because they were in salary cap hell. They did it because they were idiots and weren't listening to Tony Romo. Um, Dude, the Jaguars are like $30 million under the cap right now or something. Yeah, like in like <laughs> a ridiculous insane. amount. Don't don't worry about like oh is cap it's going to be crazy. Doesn't matter. It's all it's all nonsense. It's all fake money. It's monopoly money. Don't don't worry about it. It's not coming out of his pocket. Like don't worry about that at all. Worry about making sure that I don't know a top three player on your team, and that's probably his low end. Is you know we you know potentially going to hit the market in a year. 
<laughs> so don't just it, it doesn't make sense to worry about or anything. Just extend him now. Not by the way. Not only is he a great offensive tackle, he's the voice of the locker room and the face of the Titans in the off season. I mean, he's got season tickets to Predators games. He's very visible. He does radio shows. He's very interesting. He you know it, he's the personality on the team that everybody wants to talk to, and you know. He's he's great. Like I, I don't I don't know what more you can say. Is he's six, seven? He's athletic. He's a really good left tackle. He'll probably get better in his own scheme because he gets to do more creative stuff and there's less pressure on him. I, I mean, he, he's going to be really good for a really long time. It makes no sense not to just go ahead and throw everything. I mean, I would be talking to him about my my big concern right now is whether he gets a seven or an eight year contract. That's the only. <laughs> They're not going to give an eight year contract. I don't know that that's ever happened. That's only in hockey. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then there baseball. You go. What's John Carlos' <laughs> contract? Was that ten years? Yeah, yeah. That was ten years. Yeah, ten years. So, so here's some numbers. Uh, Nate Solder, who was the big free agent left tackle. Signed with the Giants at an average annual salary of fifteen point five million. million. So oh. I would say that's that's definitely the the floor for his contract. Yeah. Now Andrew Norwell, uh, the guard for the Jaguars, signed in free agency thirteen point three million. So that hmm. I mean that makes Solder's deal even look cheaper. But what's yeah, what's but- really going to affect Taylor Lewan? And I'm working on uh, getting, some of you probably know, Joel Corey from CBS Sports. I'm working on getting him on the yes. podcast to talk about this. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Zach Martin makes $14 million annually. So still out of those three players, Nate Solder has the highest. So if Nate Solder's making 15.5 and the best guard who has the same agent as Taylor Lewan is making 14, you would expect Taylor Lewan to probably get he might take a bit of a hometown discount and get like fifteen point seven five sixteen million. I think that'd be reasonable. Yeah, on SpotRack, his his market value is at fifteen point five million right now, which is the same as Solder. Yeah, I'd put yeah. him a makes... little higher than that, mm-hmm. but not by much. The only reason he would take a discount, uh, first of all, is because he's not completely miserable here. Like some people, like if they had to go to Cleveland or Detroit or Atlanta or you know or somewhere like that, where you know, they've just had bad luck at offensive tackle other than Joe Thomas. You know, he's not going to be miserable here. He likes it. He goes to Predators games, all that. Also, state income tax is non-existent. So, yes. like, a, a $15.5 million contract here is like a $19 million contract in uh, New York. So, I mean, there may be another team who will offer him more. And I'm not willing to find out, but if we offer him a sixteen million dollar deal, there's there's no reason why he should think that he's getting screwed or anything like that. When by the time his contract is up, he'll probably probably won't even be one of the top fifteen paid left tackles. It's yeah. just it, you know, you and you can look at the draft, you can look at free agency, you can look at whatever you want. Teams are desperate to get offensive tackles, and they will reach and they will overpay for mediocrity year after year after year, and it won't solve any of their issues. The Titans got lucky and hit on back-to-back Pro Bowl tackles. You know, extend them, keep them. It's either that or spend a first-round pick somewhere on them. Yeah, you're, you're right. There's no doubt they're going to extend them, and there's really no doubt about the money. It's just a matter of when, and I'm kind of confused as to why they haven't done it yet. 
the thought is that like they could use the franchise tag and that they're like and they don't think Lawan will hold out so maybe they just are gonna you know let him play through some games and see if they can't come down on the price, all that kind of stuff. I mean, at the end of the day, it, and, and it's easy for me to say because it's not my money, but they're really arguing between, you know, one or five million dollars over the course of the contract. It's not gigantic money for either side, but they're kind of in that stage where, you know, they're not standoffish. There's not you know, comments in the media about how somebody's getting screwed or how somebody wants too much money, which generally means they're close. So now it's just kind of ironing out the details and he may have a contract that he likes. He may just not want to sign it halfway through training camp because he may not want to be in training camp. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he may, I mean, there may be no actual dispute. He just may be saying like, you know, I'll sign this and then y'all just waive the workout uh, penalties or whatever. And then I'll sign it, you know, three days before the first preseason game and I'll play my six snaps there and then I'll get into it. So until he misses a preseason game, I'm not even concerned about it. Is he going to show up to camp? Probably. He's that kind of guy. Like He's been a very vocal, physical leader. He seems like the kind of guy who, especially with Conklin out, will kind of want to have everybody straightened up and in order and, you know, figure all that stuff out. But, I mean, he, he's also a smart guy. Like, he's not going to risk getting hurt for, you know, no reason in a preseason practice. I would assume he'd be there based off his personality. But, I mean, if, if his agent says don't do it, it'll cost you money, he may listen to him and, you know, sit out. Yeah. I don't know. Well, whatever happens, let's just be glad uh, he's not Le'Veon Bell because – What's happening with him is just ridiculous. Yeah. That that re- really this the tackle situations on the very first day of training camp, we're going to know a lot more about Taylor Lewan's situation because we're going to know if he shows up or not, and we're going to know a lot more about Jack Conklin because we we're going to know whether he's on the pup list or not. I don't know why mm-hmm. if he if he's not on the pup list, it means he's on the field. So I, I he's probably going to start on the pup list. I don't know that he'll play in the preseason. But as you mentioned, Matias, torn ACLs are becoming so common these days, and the treatment is so kind of streamlined to where it's not a big deal and you can come back pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I think the timetable nowadays is like six to nine months, um, which would put them right at like at the start of the season. Um, I, I think Populous is probably a bet, your best bet. But you really can't tell, like, uh, how someone's going to recover um, from a surgery and go through rehab and all that. Um, I really haven't seen too, too much news on him. Uh, PFT two days ago put up, a, put up an article saying he's showing patience in his rehab. Um, I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> um, but <laughs> given, given how young he is and how important he is uh, to this team, I, I, don't think, I don't think the team's going to rush him at all. Um, I don't see any, any need to. I mean, would I feel comfortable with Dennis Kelly at right tackle? N- no, but I mean, he's not terrible. We could be doing a lot worse, and we have done a lot worse in the past. Um, and I feel pretty good about the about the rest of the pieces on the offensive line to to hold their own um, until Conklin comes back. Yeah. Uh, so finally, the last kind of topic. That, that 
you guys, being our listeners, brought to my attention was this idea of what is this uh, Mike Vrabel defense going to look like. He called it front multiplicity in his opening press conference. And that's sort of the thing where it's going to take some time to learn. You know, we're gonna, It's going to take some time to learn about Mariota. We're going to know quickly about the tackles. This is something that's going to take some time to learn what exactly it looks like. Um, but it's something that's going to be very exciting to look at in practices and once the preseason gets underway. Uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see. Well, I, I don't know if we'll ever know, really. Um, but who has more more say on how the defense lines up and what they do um, scheme-wise and all that? Because Dean Pease was brought in um, by Vrabel. Um, but Vrabel's a defensive-minded coach. Um, so, so, so I'm interested um, in who's really going to run the show um, and, and like who's going to call plays. Because I think I think Pease is going to call the plays, but Vrabel's going to have the final word. I think that's what he said in uh, in his introductory press conference, I'm pretty sure. Or, or one, one of his press conferences, that's what he said. Um, and like you said, um, it's going to be a very, very versatile defense. Um, and I think we have the pieces to, uh, to pull that off. Um, I'm expecting a lot of three, four and four, three looks, um, and a lot of different, different schemes, um, to, to confuse opponents. Um, and, and I'm excited. We're going to be able to do a lot of stuff also because our secondary finally looks legitimately elite. Yeah. Um, because when you have Malcolm Butler, Logan Ryan and Adore Jackson, um, you can leave them just man on man with all of their guys. Um, and just worry about everything else um, um, on another, just differently. So I, I'm very interested to see how the defense uh, plays out. Yeah. Um, what I would look for is stand-up ends. So if we run uh, what was called in Houston, it was called a diamond package, um, which is guys in the B-gap, guys uh, outside the tackles or tight end. It's what they do on third down. And then they would there would be walked up linebackers and somebody would blitz an A gap, and that's that and it would it would be Whitney Merciless. He would just pick an A gap that he wanted to go. There was no call. He would just pick which one he wanted to go through and go through it. Yeah, um, that's the diamond package. If you see a lot of that, that's Mike Vrabel. Um, if you see a lot of four defensive linemen down, like the way they play Terrell Suggs and the way they play with those bigger defensive tackles, I'm I'm gonna assume that that means that Pease is having more of a call, more of an influence on that call. Um, but really, I mean, at the end of the day, defense is defense. You've got you've got an edge guy who's supposed to you know make sure that plays don't go outside. You've got players that are supposed to be you know penetrator. It, it's 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 good to hear the word multiplicity because you're not going to see the same formation all the time. So you don't want to have a coach who says we're going to be a three, four defense and that's all we're going to do, you know, and we're going to make our mark because you're going to get beat. You know, if, if you're so rigid and not flexible to teams that can, you know, motion over receivers and run out different formations, you're going to get beat because you're being obvious on your side of the ball when they don't have to be. So I want them to be multiple but really what I want is aggressive five-man you know, pressures now that we've invested so much in the defensive backs like we talked about. There's no reason to be soft and play you know, 10 yards off the ball like we've had to in the past with these three corners and Kevin Byard. There's, mm-hmm. just, there's, there's no reason you should have to do it. 
And I don't want to spend another year listening to a coach explain why, you know, on third and three, there was a 10 yard cushion. And, and I don't get the sense that Vrabel will do that. And I don't get the sense that Pease wants to do that. So as long as they're in lockstep with how aggressive they want to be, I'm okay. I'm one of the few people who liked the way Greg Williams coached our defense when he was here, when he was real aggressive, when it was mm-hmm. a lot of bus plays I think that's that's a really good way to play defense if you're confident in your offense so I hope to see more of that style than the Ray Horton Dick LeBeau stuff we've seen in the past yeah oh Ray Horton look at me I sometimes forget he existed yeah so bad yeah he he was really kind of like gone and gone with the wind or whatever I mean like it, it I remember him but it always seems in the past like I can't remember his face and I don't know where he is now. So it's like, was he ever really here to begin with? <laughs> he was one of the more sought after defensive coordinators. He was before he came to the Titans. The he was, or not with the Ravens, with the Cardinals. He was great with the Cardinals. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the things he did with them were like very aggressive. And then he got here and it's like, he was so relaxed to be in Nashville, which is such a great city, that he was just like, you know, I'm just going to kick back and let everybody just kind of read and play back, and we just got our faces kicked in. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we did. <laughs> um, so uh, we're getting toward the end. Uh, let's look ahead at some dates before we go. Uh, again, camp starts on Thursday, the 26th. The Titans will have a scrimmage at Nissan Stadium on August the 4th. Uh, about five days after that is the first preseason game in Green Bay at Lambeau against the Packers on August the 9th. And then about a week after that, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come to town for joint practices followed by a preseason game. That all takes place here in Nashville. Um, before we go, I'll let you guys say what most are you looking forward to to learning to seeing over the next four to six weeks as we uh, go through this preseason process i just really need to know if derrick henry or Deion lewis is going to be the starter no i'm kidding i don't really care it doesn't matter they're both going to play <laughs> as much as they want now but i'm i need to do, i need to know what's going to happen with the receivers well i know we've talked about it plenty um but I just I want to see the battles. I want to see Tajay Sharp versus Taewon Taylor. I want to see who's going to get that fifth or sixth receiver spot. Is it going to be Deontay Burnett? Uh, is Campanaro going to stick? Is Jordan Beasy going to be as good as Jim White thinks he is? So I'm excited. I'm excited to see that. Um, I really want to see if Rashawn Evans can be an NFL inside linebacker. Uh, when he played at Alabama, he was he was good his final year. He's there's a lot of things I like on tape. I think he's somebody that has to come in for Wesley Woodyard because I think you're going to need to cover linebacker with both of those guys. I think Jayon Brown will need to play a lot more. Um, I, I, one of my hot takes is that I think Jayon Brown should never come off the field next season, and I think you should <laughs> rotate Wesley Woodyard and Rashawn Evans if you're just going to play two linebackers. Um, because I think they do a lot of the same stuff. I just think Evans is a little more stout and a little more versatile. But if he can't play inside linebacker at the next level, I'm it, it, that would usually be a nightmare. But I think he might be a better like edge pass rusher type player than he is an inside linebacker, a lot like kind of a reverse Clay Matthews. So if 
for whatever reason he can't play it early, I would really like to see them get him involved on the edges. So the first question is, can he play inside linebacker? And the second is, how flexible are the Titans going to be with where they line him up? Yeah, um, definitely some things to look forward to. Uh, That's going to do it for us. We'll be back pretty soon. Uh, Again, we're recording this uh, uh, literally a week before training camp starts. You're probably listening to this on, like, Monday uh, before camp. So um, we will be back after the Nissan Stadium scrimmage on August 4th, but before the preseason game against Green Bay. So somewhere between the 4th and the 9th, we will be back with our – we'll we'll recap what's happened in camp so far, and we'll preview the Green Bay Packers. Uh, It's fun to be back to to previewing matchups and opponents and not just talking about random draft prospects or just trying to to fill the airtime because we actually have some stuff to talk about. So until then, uh, for Luke Worsham – Matthias Wadner and uh, Will Lomas, we will talk to everybody in a couple weeks. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.